welcome to another episode of Sleep and Relax ASMR. This episode, we continue our 50 states ramble. And since we're going in alphabetical order, today we will ramble about the state of Arkansas. If this is your first time here, no worries. You do not have to listen to these in chronological order. Um, but the essence of the series is pretty simple. The premise, I should say. There are 50 American states, and I am attempting to create and present to you for your sleep and relaxation 50 random rambles, with each state getting its very own episode. And so, because of that, today we discuss Arkansas. Now, like most states, I don't really know a whole lot about Arkansas. And I will be honest, I didn't even know where to really start for this one. So I got a little desperate and I just Googled <laughs> what is the most famous thing about Arkansas. And it is Arkansas, not Arkansas. There's a great video from a few years ago, like a, a meme. I don't know where it came from, but a lady, clearly a visitor, you know, or, you know, a new resident, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, someone learning about geography, about the country. And, you know, she says, why is this one Kansas? But this one is not our Kansas. America explain. And it's true. I don't understand why we have Kansas and then our Kansas, but we call it Arkansas. So, anyway, like I said, I looked up most famous things in Arkansas, and one of the first results was John Daly, the golfer. I myself am not a golfer. As a matter of fact, if you do happen to know me, well, hello, but then you know I'm not a very good golfer. As a matter of fact, I would consider myself to be pretty abysmal at the sport. Yeah. There is a caveat I'll throw out there for your consideration, which is I really only golfed uh, two or three times and I played baseball growing up. So naturally, the um, couple of times I've tried to play golf, I've tried applying a sort of baseball swing um, to which I am under the impression is not good. It's a totally different technique. And um, so far, the results really do speak for themselves. But also for your consideration, I was a pretty decent baseball player in my youth. Something that was interesting was I started off playing and I was, I mean, absolutely terrible my first year. Of course, you practice, you gain some experience. And naturally, you're going to improve. After that first season, like I said, just terrible. Um, I'll never forget my youth coach. He sent me out there to the plate. Bases loaded. High pressure situation. As high pressure situation as, you know, a seven or uh, eight year old can really face. Uh, I might have been six. Six or seven. But, uh, yeah, bases loaded. As a kid in the first, it's like kind of the first kind of pressure situation 
I've been put into. And I was just incredibly nervous to go in there and put in a spot like that. First pitch is thrown. I just swing at the air. I'm not even paying attention to anything. Second pitch comes in, same thing. I swing. I'm not really looking at anything. <laughs> and then I remember my youth coach yells at me, pulls me to the side and tells me to grab the bat with both hands and take a real swing. And most importantly, just look at the ball. And like something out of a super bad, super cheesy Hallmark movie, <laughs> I go back to the plate. I was pissed because he yelled at me. I saw the pitch coming. Um, took a big old swing and cranked the ball to deep right field. And I think I had a triple. <clears throat> I remember that so vividly. And so then what's interesting, well, maybe not so interesting. In fact, it's probably very boring for you because I'm talking about my youth baseball career. So um, anyway, you know, this is part of the ramble. I'm, maybe I should have opened the episode mentioning this as well. These 50 states ramble pretty well like every other ramble <clears throat> that I ever record for the show. It's kind of a wild card. You never quite know where I'm going with it. I know that some of you really enjoy that element. Some don't. I think it just comes natural to me to sort of wander off. But I'm going to touch briefly again on my youth baseball career. So <laughs> maybe you should go to sleep if you don't want to hear it. <laughs> well, hopefully you keep listening. I guess you have the option of turning me off, which of course is a valid option. But strangely, when I returned the next season, I was a much better baseball player. Like, I was legitimately competent. And I'm not sure where it came from, because yes, I did practice in the offseason. But you think towards the end of my first season, there would be signs of major improvement. But there really weren't. So call me surprised when I showed up to the first practice the next year and I was hitting bombs all over the place. I mean, I was, all of a sudden I was cranking, you know, that age, big time home runs for that age group. And uh, it was definitely this very surreal experience because I went from one of the worst players on the team, legitimately one of the worst players on my team, to one of the best within maybe eight months or so. The next season, I made a huge improvement again, and by that time, I was playing in a couple different leagues. And again, just this massive difference that definitely no one anticipated really to make because it just was, I might say unwarranted at the beginning, but just, again, it's not like you had this massive leap during the season, so very surreal experience, I remember. Again, to sort of pull up to the diamond, and I was the kid that really was an easy out, and all of a sudden I was like easily top one or two players on my team for the next uh, couple of years. So this lasted maybe another two, three seasons. Um, that I was kind of like the best player on my teams, top two, top three consistently. But then something happened 
that at the time I did not understand, but now I can look back with a bit more clarity, something that I actively try to avoid, which is I really just became too confident in my natural ability, you know, because once that natural ability took hold to where I was a good player, and I think naturally I just had some tendencies that made me a slightly better player than uh, other kids my age, but it only takes you so far, that's true, even at that age group. So once I kind of got the hang of the sport, that sort of natural, and you see this at all levels of sports, at the youth level, the high school level, college level, pros, you know, you see certain athletes that, you know, have this very natural ability and it can sort of propel them forward. You see this very clearly often with uh, particularly like high school uh, basketball and football players. Right, you have a six ten, you know, center that's got a forty inch vert and um, can just jump out of the gym and it's quick and you know. But if they don't develop that jump shot, if they don't uh, really hone in on the other skills of the game and the mental side, then by the time they get to college and they don't put in that work, then more most likely they're going to be other guys just as big just as athletic, or even let's say they're still the most athletic, you know, it's not enough to really propel them to really stand out that far above the crowd. So even me being at the time 11, 12 maybe, you know, I was practicing hard, you know, but I developed that kind of arrogance, that my natural ability, and working like every other kid would mean that I would remain sort of like top of the pack wasn't really the case um, you know made me start to lose that confidence because I was again for those two or three years one of the top guys and then you know all of a sudden these other guys my age were starting to really catch up so anyway try to learn my lesson not take any gifts or natural abilities don't stay stagnant um so some very important lessons learned during my youth sports career. Which for me really is the value of youth sports in general. You learn about competition, responsibility, teamwork, pressure situations. I really think it's important that the youth, <laughs> the proverbial youth, grow up and work in a team setting one way or another. But just my two cents. Anyway, let's refocus on Arkansas, since I'm supposed to be rambling about the state. So we established it's the home state of John Daly. Um, John Daly, I think, was probably around my dad's time as a golfer. Just a huge personality. I don't know much about him. The only thing I really know about John Daly right now... Oh, not the only thing, because I, I knew he was a professional golfer from the beginning... But one of the things that I remember about John Daly is his affiliation with Hooters. And oddly enough, before recording this episode, and this was totally random, this was not um, part of the research, <laughs> part of the poor research that I do for uh, each and every <laughs> episode. 
but I, I did notice that his son, also John Daly, is golfing at the University of Arkansas, which um, apparently John Daly Sr. also went to. Didn't know that. And um, he got a uh, Hooters sponsorship. This was a while ago, I think. Like, let's see. At this point, he might be in his sophomore, junior year. I don't remember. Um, I don't remember. I mean, it just, it was a random thing. So literally, I had sort of prepared the idea for this series months in advance. And so most of the sort of general talking points for the rambles I have kind of written down already, at least for the first 10 or 15 states. So quite literally, I went from reading about John Daly and the state of Arkansas at this point, probably months ago. And then it just so happened that through passing, <laughs> I saw some video, I think it was on Instagram, about John Daly Jr. and uh, University of Arkansas golfing and the fact that he is also a Hooters athlete, which is very fitting. Because yeah, I remember John Daly being like, that was like his main sponsor, Hooters. I've sort of come to the conclusion that either you are a fan of the sticky floor sports slash dive bar, or you're not. And this is a huge division amongst everyday Americans. <laughs> My aunt, for example, here in Florida, where I am right now, we have Flanagan's. Flanagan's is like a it really is a staple, at least of South Florida. I'm not sure if Flanagan's is a um, statewide sort of Florida franchise, and you know maybe they have in other states as well. But definitely in South Florida, like Central and South Florida, Flanagan's is like just an absolutely iconic, classic, rundown, sticky floor, you know, ribs and wings cold beer, sports, bar, which I'm a big fan of. I like the sticky floors. <laughs> it's just something that I don't like the sticky floors per se. I just like the ambiance of these kind of like rundown places. But my aunt uh, was visiting the other day from, she was here from a different state and she's lived in this state now for, gosh, 25 years, 30 years. So definitely she is, you know, far removed from like Southeast living in general, Florida living. I mean, it's been a long time. <laughs> and so I remember recently she, during her visit, I had suggested going to Flanagan's because for me, Flanagan's, I don't know. It's just one of those things. The food is pretty decent. Eh, I mean, it's decent within reason. You know, they, their selection isn't too bad. Um, there were going to be a couple sports games on at that time, so I kind of thought, you know, why not? And the absolute repulsion, like the, the look of disgust that she gave me because I suggested Flanagan's. And so this got me to sort of come up with that stance that either you are a big-time fan of those rundown sports slash dive bars, or if you're on the other side, they just give you just the worst connotation 
like the idea of going to a Flanagan's for her is like it's it's quite literally one of her last options. Funny enough, um, if we order food from there for pickup, she actually enjoys it. But it's going to uh, the place itself that it's basically a um, it, it's quite literally off the table for her. I mean, she will not step foot inside it. So I don't know. Perhaps I've reached uh, a bigger dividing point in the country than politics. I don't know. Are you a dive bar fan? Do you like these rundown places? If you do, you're on my side. And if you don't, you're on my aunt's side. And that's totally fine either way. Now going back to the state of Arkansas. Arkansas, during my research, is, this is what I discovered, is actually the only U.S. state that produces diamonds. And that is true, at least from my limited research. The crater of Diamond Diamonds State Park in Pike County is the world's only diamond mining site that is open to the public. So, tourists can actually dig for their own sparkly jewels. The crater of Diamond State Park, it is a 911-acre Arkansas State Park, like I said, in Pike County. The park features a 37.5-acre plowed field, the world's only diamond-bearing site accessible to the public. Diamonds have continuously been discovered in the field since 1906, including the Strawn Wagner Diamond, which I have no idea what it is. The site became a state park in 1972 after the Arkansas Department of Parks and Tourism purchased the site from the Arkansas Diamond Company, and Ozark Diamond Mines Corporation. I, um, you know, Ozark on Netflix, it's just something I never was able to get into. Is it something wrong with me? Is it just a slow first season? I don't know, but I remember when Ozark came out, everyone was, not everyone, I'm not going to say that yet. Actually, the same aunt that despises Flanagan's and will never step foot inside of one loves Ozark. So maybe it's if you like Flanagan's, you don't like Ozark and vice versa. Like in 2018 or whatever, when that show popped up, it was popular. Season kept popping up and I tried to watch the first maybe three to five episodes, which to me is a fair amount of time to assess a show. And I like Jason Bateman, and the concept of the show is cool, but I just couldn't get into it at all. Like, the only thing I really took away from the show was how beautiful that Ozarks region is. Which I believe is Missouri, Arkansas, Oklahoma. Maybe there's another state in there, I'm not sure. So another cool fact about Arkansas. This is truly a, a ramble of all rambles here. Talking about my youth baseball career, um, the division between sports bar enthusiasts and non-sports bar dive slash sports bar enthusiasts, um, Diamonds, John Daly, and now this fact, which is the world's first cheese dip was invented in a restaurant called Little Mexico in Hot Springs, Arkansas in 1935. And interestingly enough, to this day, 
the World Cheese Dip Championship is held in Little Rock each year. And so, since Arkansas is credited for the invention of cheese dip, there's no better way to see the natural state than along the Cheese Dip Trail. This is a real thing. The Cheese Dip Trail. Apparently, it's a rite of passage for cheese dip enthusiasts. Which, I mean, there have to be cheese dip enthusiasts, but the idea of someone self-describing themselves as a cheese dip enthusiast, I just find it interesting. But if you are a cheese dip enthusiast, then Arkansas is, you know, the mecca, the, the ultimate um, holy site for your cheese dip enthusiasm. So I compiled the list of the cheese dip trail for your entertainment and or your boredom. And if anything, is because I was so curious to know what the holy grail, the holy trail of cheese dip, uh, what it you know involves, the places it includes. So here's a list of the cheese dip trail in Arkansas. Up first is the Cowpen Restaurant in Lake Village. Set in the Delta town of Lake Village, the Cowpen has been a Delta dining tradition since 1967. You'll love their traditional cheese dip and the southeastern corner of the state in this perfect little place. I don't know. It's kind of a description they're giving me. So the first one is Cowpen. Number two on the cheese dip trail is Nick's Barbecue and Catfish in Carlisle. He specializes in two Arkansas favorites namely barbecue and catfish. Don't discount their ability to serve up another Arkansas favorite because they've got piping hot cheese dip to offer too. Number three is Godsey's Downtown Grill. Located in the heart of Jonesboro's downtown area, Godsey's Grill offers a great atmosphere and delicious food. You'll catch live music on Thursday nights, offering the perfect opportunity for you to eat some cheese dip while you hang with your friends. Next up is Pancho's Mexican Restaurant in West Memphis. Although this is a West Memphis in Arkansas, which could be. So now I don't know, does the cheese dip trail go from Arkansas to other states? Like in this case, Tennessee. I'm going to assume that this is all, yeah, this is in Arkansas. Okay, I'm reading again. The cheese dip at Pancho's is so good, you can find it on the shelves of supermarkets. Pancho's was one of the first Mexican restaurants in Arkansas, and they do addictive cheese dip like no one else. Number five on your cheese dip trail is Dizzy's Gypsy Bistro in Little Rock. This independently owned Little Rock eatery focus on, quote, global comfort food, end quote, and you won't want to miss their spin on Arkansas's favorite cheese dip. Number six is Izzy's in Little Rock as well. So you have Dizzy's and then you have Izzy's. But uh, Izzy's, number six, has been voted best family-owned restaurant in central Arkansas. And it's due to their delicious fresh-made cuisine. Number seven on the cheese dip trail is also in Little Rock, and it's called Loca Luna. 
Local Luna bills itself as, quote, bold Arkansas bistro, end quote. And they're not wrong. You can expect to find bold cheese dip there for sure. Number eight, also Little Rock, Mexico Chiquito. <laughs> the uh, prompt, like the description says, starts off by saying, I know, you're still in Little Rock. That's okay, because Little Rock has superb cheese dip. You definitely can't miss Mexico Chiquito, which has been serving the central Arkansas area since 1935. Legend has it that Blackie Donnelly, proprietor of Mexico Chiquito, is responsible for the invention of cheese dip. So, you know, I guess if I ever find myself in Little Rock, the first place I'm going to want to go to is Mexico Chiquito, if anything. Because if you have the opportunity to try the invent the invention, the origination, the genesis of the cheese dip, why not go to the source, right? Number nine is Taco Mama and Hot Springs. Are you ready for a new cheese dip delivery system? How about a cheese-drenched chimichanga from the Hot Springs' favorite Taco Mama? Then you have Taco Pronto and Hot Springs. It says here, you're not going to find great Mexican food at Taco Pronto. Instead, you'll find great Tex-Mex. Everything is made fresh to order at Taco Pronto. So there you go, Arkansas. Now you know it's the birthplace of John Daly. Diamonds are produced there. And if you absolutely love cheese dip, then you now have the cheese dip trail, which I have bestowed this knowledge upon you so that you may pursue your cheese dip enthusiasms. To be totally honest, this is exactly the type of like quirky kind of focus of a trip that I would take. I like, I'm actually now compelled to want to visit Arkansas. You know, of course, to do the cheese dip trail, you know, for the diamonds and, you know, the, I'm sure it's a lovely state to visit. But I'm kind of making it a joke, but the truth is, I am that type of person, absolutely, that gets a list of like the 20, if a state, is known for something, I kind of want to go and experience that. So perhaps soon you will see me um, hitting up all these restaurants along the cheese dip trail and perhaps I'll do uh, reviews on my experience. That actually is what I should do. I should do a 50 states ramble and then do a 50 states review of the things I talk about and discuss in each state. And that's a great excuse to visit every state at least once. Either case, hopefully you enjoyed this ramble. Next episode, we've got California. For questions, comments, suggestions, you can always reach me by emailing hello at sleepandrelaxasmr.com. That's all for this episode. Thanks as always for listening, and take care. <laughs>